So let me read to you the passage that I want to think about with you today, which comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. And I think it's up there on screen. So if you want to follow along, there's a whole stack of Bibles over there, and there's Bibles over here. There might even still be some at the back. So go and grab a Bible if you want a paper version in front of you. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read 11 verses. Therefore, and that therefore is a summary of the first four chapters of, of Romans in which Paul has set out his argument of, as to how Jesus has come uh, to be uh, the new Adam, the new Abraham, to fulfill all God's promises, to rescue us from uh, our sin, our guilt. Oh, before God, we all stand uh, guilty and uh, uh, guilty of sin and selfishness and going away uh, from Him. And so, the therefore is the summary um, that, that leads into this kind of summary statement at the, at the beginning of chapter 5, which says, in the light of all of this, in the light of, of our need of forgiveness and of God's grace, in the light of Jesus coming uh, to fulfill uh, all that God promised that He would send and do, in the light of the invitation to believe and know forgiveness for our sins uh, through faith in Jesus. Therefore, okay, I'm going to read the, the, the passage now. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. May God bless this reading to our understanding. I was reflecting on uh, 
where we are and what I would say uh, today. The beginning of a new year, it's always uh, a challenging moment to think about where we are and, 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 and what is God saying. I suppose it's typical, isn't it, of, of the end of one year and the beginning of another that we have endless uh, reviews of the year that's just gone and endless speculation about the year that is just about uh, upon us or that is now upon us. People's predictions for the year ahead, and, and I've invited you surreptitiously to make some of your own or at least to express your hopes for 2018. And it's the same as we did at the beginning of 2017 and 2016 and so on. We do it every year. We try to anticipate what this year might look like because if we can, <clears throat> excuse me, if we can anticipate it, if we can tell ourselves uh, what is likely to be coming up, then it insulates us a little bit, doesn't it? I'm going to prevail on somebody to get me a glass of water. It only needs one person. Ian's got it. Thank you because I don't think I'm going to. <clears throat> it insulates us a little from the anxieties of the unknown if we can tell ourselves that we have an inkling of what might be coming up. If we can take some kind of reassurance and comfort in predicting or anticipating the events of the coming year. It's just human nature. We like to take stock of the situation. Thanks very much, Ian. Mm, warm water. <laughs> I like it. Every new year brings with it uh, its, its hopes, but also its anxieties. And I suppose it's very tempting, isn't it, to look at this uh, particular place in which we stand and to imagine that we're more anxious than usual. I don't know if we are any more anxious than usual. I think by nature we tend to be anxious as a people and as a society. But of course we, uh, we look at, at events on a global scale and we pick up the neuroses of a society that can't control that on the one hand wants to say that we are in control, and that increasingly with our, with our science and with our advances of technology and with our sophistications, with the fact that we are an emerging society and not primitive in any way, we like to think, well, we're in control. And at the very same time, we have to recognize that never have we felt less in control And we live in this world of change and uncertainty with the usual and sadly becoming increasingly typical anxieties about the health crisis facing the NHS, <clears throat> people facing uncertain times in their personal circumstances, whether with jobs or relationships, the geopolitical climate as uh, this fire and fury book comes out and uh, speculation just continues to rumble on about what the impact of an unusual president might be in terms of the global stage over another year. There's an anxiety 
about what that might look like. The debates and disputes continue on about climate change, but it's hard to resist the idea that weather events are more frequent and more severe. And so on, we could uh, quite miserably spend the next half hour rehearsing all the anxieties that you've probably come in here to escape. Are things getting worse, or are these just the anxieties that are common to us all? I suspect the latter. I suspect that if we were to dig back and to do a, 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 an evaluation of the kinds of neuroses and anxieties that people have carried in every era of every millennium of every part of history, we would find the same fears and concerns. Perhaps it's just questions of scale that are bigger or seem more serious. The threats of violence on a local or global scale, the extent of poverty that we are more aware of in our world than ever before, and so we carry a bigger burden for our world's needs. The isolation <clears throat> that so many people face in a world where there has never been more connectedness or connectivity, and yet epidemics of loneliness. The greed and the selfishness that fuel our society, the individualism, and on and on and on. And in amongst all of this, people, people look to other people to solve it and make it okay. They look to government. They look to their leaders. They look to world affairs. They look to science and all that it might solve or unravel or promise or provide or do. They look to the economy to give them the lift or the opportunity that they might hope for. They look to themselves. You have the power to make yourself happy, I read the other day. And in amongst all of this, I got to thinking, and really what I want us to think about is just a simple invitation to a simple return, to a simple set of truths, because so easily and so readily we can be overcome and contaminated by the anxieties and the worries of the world. And I wanted just to think about this passage in Romans, this beautiful statement, one of so many that we find in, in Scripture that just invites us to consider again who we are in Jesus, to consider again what it is that we believe. Because if our being together here today is just so that we can eat some food and chat with some people and actually represents nothing more than that, then we are just a club. If we're not a people who are marked by a different quality of believing, of deciding, of choosing, 
of living, of behaving, then we're just the social club. We're just something to come to, to put in a couple of hours on a Sunday, and we're kidding ourselves. Because we, my friends, have got to have, if this is to be of any meaning or purpose or value whatsoever, a conviction that challenges and redresses and confronts the anxieties and the neuroses of the world. In other words, my friends, we have to have something different. We have to be someone different. We have to be molded and directed and shaped. We have to be constrained. We have to be disciplined. We have to be formed and reformed by what we've believed to be the truth. The world believes the truth to be whatever people are saying or the papers are reporting or the president is doing or tweeting. Whatever the celebrities or the important people are moving or shaking. But actually, those things are passing away. And so, I simply want to invite you to consider with me what God has done for us. I listened uh, to a podcast that, that we were, Ruth and I were coming down from Inverness um, a couple of days ago, and, and Ruth had downloaded some podcasts for us to listen because the A9, the signal, is not always reliable on the radio. And one of the podcasts that we listened to was called, it was about a project called the Glasgow Boys. Now, the Glasgow Boys was a movement in art at the turn of the century. And that's where the name came from, but the Glasgow Boys was uh, it's a, a, an anti-violence initiative, the Braveheart Project, which exists to help guys with unmanageable behavior and violence and history of addiction and so on get on top of their problems. It's not, as far as I could discern, in any way, shape, or form a Christian program. And we listened to some of these uh, hard nuts, some of these guys who were on the program, who had been in and out of jail, who had serial drug offending, who had been in and out of relationships, who had uh, for, for whom serious violence was just part of the rhythm of their lives. And I heard some of them describing how they had been given a chance to get on this program and to begin to think about how they might live differently. And it was an encouraging program insofar as it went. And there was nothing earth-shattering in the way in which they approached getting these guys to address their behavior and find different ways of living. In fact, it just came down quite simply to creating space for these guys to be listened to, to tell their story, to consider how they'd been living, and to explore the roots of where that came from, and then to begin to find and choose other ways. We didn't listen to the whole podcast because we got back to Glasgow before it finished. But I was moved by the simplicity 
of what it was that was having an effect in these guys' lives. Moved by the simplicity of the fact that simply by listening to these guys, giving them a chance, believing that they could be different, letting them express not just their anger but also their tears and their hurt, of teaching them that it was safe and okay to need or to want a hug or just to be able to say, I'm having a bad day and to be listened to. You see, it seemed to me that the things that were making a profound difference in the lives of these guys who had done some pretty serious stuff were actually very simple things. Now, to my mind, they didn't go far enough because there's a whole spiritual dimension that was still missing. But nonetheless, it was a recognition that the things that drive people to anxiety and bind people into places of painful brokenness are the things which actually have some pretty simple corrections or means of healing. In a world of anxiety, people need provision. People need provision in a world of poverty and need. People need security in a world of uncertainty. People need love in a world that is relentlessly selfish and individualistic. People need forgiveness in a world which is all too quick to blame and accuse and point the finger. People need understanding in a world that is more often than not in a hurry. People need acceptance in a world that is only too quick to reject. People need permission to be and to be known as who they are in a world of judgment and stereotypes. But you see, I believe that beyond that, we need other things. We need faith that goes beyond the here and now and what is seen or known to believe that there's a bigger story and a bigger reality than just the events and the turbulence of the times in which we live. I believe that people need to be reconciled to God because we're made in the image of God. And as Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts will find no rest until they rest in you. I believe that we need to find reconciliation with one another. And yes, you can do that without God. But you can do it most profoundly only when you know that you are reconciled to God and that you are in Him and at peace before Him. I believe that people need to find mercy, because we live in a world that is merciless, and it is only too quick to point the finger or twist the knife. But a mercy 
that recognizes and knows just exactly who you are and what you are and shows you mercy nonetheless. I believe that we need something that the Bible calls grace, which is kindness that we have no right to, which is forgiveness that we can make no claim on. And at the beginning of a new year, whilst all the anxieties and the turbulence of the world surround us, all I want to do is to call you back to the gospel. It's a very simple message, really. To call you back to a message of good news, which says that in the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his teaching, God's purpose in sending his son, all of the things which have the power to transform and restore and renew your life are available. Paul starts in Romans 5, and I just want to pull out some points from the opening part of the passage by saying, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And let's just remind ourselves what that's actually saying. Justified comes from two Latin roots. The just part, meaning in the sense of justice, being made right or righteous, being made right. And the fied part just being, it comes from the Latin to do or to make. So made right, made just, made innocent, made of good standing again before God. And we are justified. We are made right before God. Some people say, and I'm sure you've heard it before, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Through faith. What is it that God asks us to do? The work of God is this, said Jesus, to believe in the one he has sent. It's the hardest work of all, isn't it? The hardest work of all. We ramp up. We're aware of our wrongdoing and our shortcoming and our sin and our failure, or maybe we're not. And God asks us to believe that through Jesus and because of Him and because of what He has done for you and what only He could do for you, you are made right with God. Jesus, who came to be the new Adam. Jesus, who came to be the embodiment of humankind, and yet without sin. Jesus, who came to live life and fulfill the law perfectly in every jot and tittle and detail. Jesus, who came at the behest of the love of the Father. Jesus, who came in a loving relationship with His Father. 
Jesus who came in love, not to be made a, a scapegoat or to be punished by an angry, wrathful, vengeful God, as though the Father and the Son were on a different page, but the Father and the Son and the Spirit, in a loving relationship with one another, came in order to get you back. And Jesus offered Himself. God offered Himself. God offered to take upon Himself whatever you have done, whatever you have been, that would lock you out of fellowship with God. That in your head means that, well, you've done it now. Jesus came to take it. There are two opposite dangers that we fall into in this business of trying to sort out our brokenness. One is that we try to justify ourselves. We try to work extra hard to reverse the wrong, to undo the sin. Striving for virtue as though there was some counterweight that we could pull off that would outdo the wrong that we have done. And so some try and strive to be good enough and to make it right. Alternatively, people choose another course, which is to refuse to believe that they can be righteous or forgiven or renewed in any way at all, and they just give up and write themselves off. But neither of these is the way that God has set for you or for me. Neither is the way that God has for you. God's way is that you be absolutely made right, made just, made holy, made pure in His sight by what Jesus has done for you. And the hard thing that He asks you to do is to believe that that is true. The hard thing He asks you to do is to believe that that is true. Nothing that you can ever do will undo what you've done or been or said or thought. But neither will wallowing in a place of self-loathing or self-condemnation set you free in the way that God intends either. God asks you to believe that it's been done. And so God invites you anew to believe. And I say it's a simple message because it's simple to say the words. But the challenge is truly to believe. Because the implication, as Paul says, since we've been justified through faith, is that we have peace with God. Let me ask you this. Are you walking in peace with God? Do you have peace in your heart 
before God. And if you don't have peace in your heart before God, why is that? Why is that? Is that because you struggle to believe in His grace and His forgiveness? Struggle to believe that He loves and wants you for His daughter, for His son? Struggle simply to accept that all that you have need of has been achieved for you by Jesus. And all he asks you to do is to receive it, to rest in it, to give up and lean back on it as John, the beloved disciple, leaned back on the breast of Jesus. At the Last Supper, Are you walking in peace before God? Do you know and believe that you are loved by God? So easy to see. And yet so often a mountain for us to climb in terms of what we believe. To actually give in and accept that you're loved by God. And what are the things that block that peace? Perhaps that we doubt that we are or ever could be forgiven. Perhaps that we're overcome with anxiety. The ways and the words and the worries of the world seep into our consciousness and we pick up its stress and neurosis. And we lose the place of peace. The Jesus who is above all history and its comings and goings and the turbulence of its affairs told you to receive. Take heart. I have overcome the world, he said. Sure, there are still the ordinary business of the ordinary days bills to be paid, jobs to be done. But you see, his invitation and call to you and to us, if we're to be a different people, is to live out of a different place. It's a place of knowing that we're right with God because of Jesus. That we're invited into peace with God because of Jesus. That just as we receive the forgiveness of God, so we're charged to be a people who walk in forgiveness. We've already prayed it. We used the old-fashioned language, but we said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus said the two are linked. We cannot rest in the peace of God's forgiveness if we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness, the desire for revenge or payback towards other people. Is there sin that you need to confess and ask forgiveness for? Not that you need to go on a witch hunt, but maybe there's that thing you just need to bring to God. God. 
for him to say, okay, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. And so his promise is that we may be justified. And the intention is that we may have peace with God. Through whom, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through Jesus, we have gained access by faith. There's that word again. Into this grace in which we now stand. You're invited to stand in a place of grace. Invited to stand in a place of undeserved kindness. You're invited to lay down your trying and your striving and your stress. You're invited to lay down all of this stuff. And you're invited to receive again the grace and the kindness of God. In a little while, we're going to take communion together. And if you're here because you're seeking or questioning and you know that you're not yet a Christian, then it's fine. Just let the elements go past around the table and just be part of the whole gathering. But the invitation of communion at the beginning of this year is an invitation for you to start 2018 and to put your marker down again. It says, I choose not to live by the anxieties and the uncertainties and the neuroses of this world. I choose not to let my life be shaped or governed by the prevailing winds of fortune or the uncertainties of the times. I choose to walk by faith and not by sight. I choose to trust in Jesus, whose story stands over and above all human history, and through whom and because of whom God's people in every age and place have found peace, mercy, a fresh start, an invitation to receive these things that all humans need, the promise of provision, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Security in a world of uncertainty. Love. Because he charges you to go and love, and you cannot love with what you don't already have. And so if you would love as Jesus sends you to love, a generous love, a love that goes beyond whether you like someone or not. A love that goes beyond whether it's easy or convenient to love that person. 
a love that is supernatural in its warmth, in its radiance, in its beauty, in its embrace. If you would love as God sends you to love, then you cannot do that except first you receive such love for you and through you. If you would extend forgiveness to other people, you cannot do that unless you first know that you stand in need of forgiveness and dare to receive it. If you would receive God's unconditional acceptance of you, then you in turn will understand what it is to accept lovingly and powerfully other people. We cannot be the best that we were created to be except that we allow the Creator to recreate us. And that is a work not of striving or of guilt or of the pursuit of virtue. It's a work of being broken before the grace of God, of coming to the one who confronts you with who you are and who says to you through the cross of Jesus, I forgive you. I love you. I embrace you. You are mine. These three remain, says Paul to the Corinthians. Faith, hope, and love. You see, without faith, you can't access any of this stuff. You have to believe that it's real and it's true. But faith isn't faith that just makes it up. It's not wish fulfillment. Faith is the key that turns the lock, that opens the door. Believe that it is so, that you might walk into it. Hope is not vague hope. I hope it will be the hope that maybe you shared around the tables at the beginning for 2018. This is a hope that has the seal and the imprimatur of a cross and an empty tomb. And all, all gathered together in love. Because it was in love that God created you. It was in love that God sent his son to redeem you. It was in love. And in order to gather you up into the very climate of heaven, which is love, that he came after you. Faith, hope, and love. These three remain. And the greatest of these is love. So let's take a moment 
And I'm just going to invite you in a moment of silence just to respond to God. Something out of all of that will have spoken to you, and I don't need to know what it is. But where you are just now, take a moment just quietly to pray and respond, and then we'll move to share communion together. Father, thank you for the simple power of your truth. You call us to be a different people, to be a people who yield in faith to the grace which you extend to us. You demonstrate your own love for us in this. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgive us, Lord, because other things crowd in. Doubts, sin, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, failure. And we sing the songs and we mouth the words, but we've lost touch with the heart and core of the good news But at the beginning of this year, we want to come back to your simple gospel and invitation to receive and believe the grace that we might stand in. And so you've heard our prayer. We ask that you do this work of renewing us in heart and mind and strengthening us in our faith. Help us, Lord, if we need to restore or create new patterns or habits of living or praying or reading, new patterns of behavior that look more like Jesus and less like us. Have your way, Lord. 
because we want to be people who, in a world of anxiety and uncertainty, are those who visibly, palpably know the God of peace. And we can't do it by ourselves, Lord. So hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.